Welcome to Weightlifting Yarns, where we chat about all things weightlifting in Aotearoa and all around the world. Welcome back to Weightlifting Yarns with my man Hayden Pritchard. How are you, brother? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm not too bad. Bit of a busy weekend, um, yeah, but a good weekend. Yeah, busy weekend, mate. Busy weekend. Yeah, so uh, we were down in Wellington yesterday for the 41 degrees post-lockdown competition. Um, so had three lifters, one new to the platform, and yeah, it was a, a busy morning coaching three at once. So um, luckily they were all a bit spread out, so that made my life a little bit easier. Yeah, because obviously um, it was a busy session. It was I watched it on Facebook Live, and um, uh, obviously I watched it because of I know Steph personally, and um, then I just love watching weightlifting. But it was, um, yeah, it was cool to finally see competition platform um, back, and yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. And 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 how do you reckon you went? You personally as a coach, um, pretty good. There were a couple of moments where it was sort of like the nick of time um, with some of the yep. the last warm ups, but it ended up because there were a few changes and things as well. Um, the plan was looking pretty good, but I, I probably could have been a little bit more ahead a couple of times. Um, yep. The way it all worked out, it, it was all right anyway, because you know an athlete might have missed an attempt ahead of us, and then we ended up with two minutes extra anyway, which it could have been you know a minute. Um, but yep. you know it, it sort of worked out worked out pretty well overall, I think. Um, definitely, I think a little bit of learning in that though, and and we had the athletes spread across two platforms, um, which also just made things a little yep. bit. Uh, more challenging. I know that's only two or three meters, but it's still going back and forth and trying to look at the the, um, the scoreboard on that. Um, I had Brett Gibbs yes. helping out a little bit as well, so he learned how to count yep. attempts. I think at Auckland Champs, um, so he was quite good because I could just yep. get him to load the bars for the athletes and stuff. Which you know, club comp, the athletes are pretty happy to do that, but I always try and uh, minimize the work that they yeah, have to yeah. do because I think it's just if you can stack the odds in their favor, yeah, you're just too. giving them that extra bit of a chance. So. You know, if someone's available, I'll, I'll try put them to work. You know, and that's I know Richie Wong always used to do that for me when I was competing, as or was competing. I still, you know, when I compete, um, you know, have someone help um, him so that he could get the stuff done. And I think it's it's yes. quite important, um, just yeah, to give your lift every chance of success that you can. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, I think. Uh, three set, three lifters in a session, uh, but you you're a guy. What was the guy you? Yeah, he was he moved. Reno. Well, I saw him. His snatching was really good. Um, what was his name? Reno. Reno. Say again, mate. Reno. He's oh, from, Reno. That's right. Yeah, yeah. he's from Potiroa. So, I believe. Um, Waff, it it did help that you didn't have. Yeah, it didn't help. It, it did help that you had two. And one, so you weren't all in one session. Yeah, it's a real challenge, isn't it? When you're definitely, I saw, I saw Shane with three bits of paper, um, in the woman's session. Yeah, and Sam was helping as well, um, with Manias. I think there were four nation barbells. So I just saw him flicking through his sheets, and I said to him, "Look, mate, I've I've got three, but at least mine are spread out. Yours are all, (laughs) yours are all bunched (laughs) up, which makes your life a lot harder because I could sort of focus on the lifter on the platform. You know, give a little bit of stuff to the other lifter to help them carry on with their warm-up and that. But, um, you know, George is pretty schooled now with the routine. So, um, you know, she can kind of count a little bit herself. But it's just better if they don't have to. Yeah. I, um, interestingly, as they develop and grow uh, as athletes, 
they're very aware of their own timing as well in terms and and you that and like you say George is a bit more experienced they just don't panic um, as as much as what an athlete might be um, at inexperienced and thinking oh shit I've got to take an attempt now I've got to take an attempt now I've got to take an attempt now mm. um, it's always interesting growing their their experience and quite honestly you can't grow without competing there really can you no, I think, and I think that's where even, you know, the likes of Georgia and, you know, everyone really that competed yesterday, I guess, is a little bit more rusty with that stuff at the moment anyway, because it's been so long. Um, so although you yeah. might have done it heaps of times before, you still haven't done it in the last five months or, or however long it's been, you know, um, and that's quite a long time yeah. between outings. So the whole competition yes. and the one chance yeah. and all that sort of stuff, I think it's still, you know, it, you can kind of forget what that's like to an extent, I think. Yeah, this is my sixth year, well, going into seventh year of competing. Um, and it's funny, like, um, Haley counted for me in Hamilton, but but I was last anyway, so that's not a hard count. Um, yeah. But e- even in my own timing, um, knowing when to hold, push, pull back, and, and, and for us um, with Haley and and Samara and everyone, we have certain numbers that we can sit on um, yeah. and having a plan about, okay, if we're too far ahead, that's a number we're comfortable to sit on. Um, I'm not a fan of in, in having um, having to every lift increase incrementally. You know, um, mm. I always try to suggest to athletes that it's better to hone your technique with a lighter weight, uh, you know, prime your technique with a lighter weight and make a bigger jump. And so, for example... Um, for Haley, we know um, that a good, a challenging weight is 80 kilos in the snatch, right? And um, so in her, and we did a bit of a heavy session two weeks ago. She actually missed 80 again. So she, I don't, I don't know if you remember because she missed 80 um, in that Zoom competition. So mm-hmm. um, she misses 80 in the warm up, um, and <clears throat> then comes back and pumps it. Um, and from there, she built the confidence knowing, oh, today will be a, a decent day. But it's having that experience in her to know we've got a weight that we can sit on and that we don't need a panic um, as we get to, as we start to get in and um, get towards opening, opening, especially in the snatch, eh? you know, you're always fucking nervous and snatch. Oh, the, the snatch yeah. is just, yeah, it's, it's what, like, I don't know. I think for a lot of lifters as well, like if you've got the leg strength, the clean and jerk you can feel quite confident on like you know whatever weight you've been on for a clean and jerk it's always like oh yeah like I, i'm gonna hit that that's absolutely fine you know unless i don't know something crazy happens a clean and jerk you know you can get through um, yeah but as soon as you position a snatch wrong or whatever it can be a relatively light weight but the the littlest things you know you've got to get everything perfect um yeah and that's where even an opener that should be an everyday weight um, on that competition platform, it can transform, I guess. Um, and if something's just off, that you're more likely to, or less likely to be able to rescue that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, when I first really got into the coaching and people used to say to me that openers need to be a everyday weight. They need to be a weight that you'd hit nine times out of 10, you know, things like that. And um, But when it comes to competing, it's a real – so here's an experience I had. So I, I this is at Worlds in 2017, and, and because I'd lived in Doha and I spoke a bit of Arabic and 
and Miso was there, and obviously he represents Qatar. And um, I went up and spoke to them, and and they were blown away that I could speak a bit of Arabic for a starter. And then um, I actually lived just around the corner from their gym, uh, from where he trains in the Marjolus that he trains in. And um, anyway, so I was lucky enough to really spend a lot of time with Miso and his dad and and um, Hassan, who's the physio. And um, the day before competition, Miso's dad, uh, we were sitting down at dinner. And Meso's dad actually asked me, you watch, you've watched Meso's training this week? I said, yep. And he said, what should Meso open at? He asked me, <laughs> mate, I, I panicked, boy. And I was like, <laughs> and it was real funny. So I had seen him snatch um, that week, I think, I want to say 60, certainly 60, um, and clean and jerk to 10. So the, the, for those that, for the those pro- that aren't sure, that's, that's 160. Just yes, yeah. yes, yeah, not not six. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that you uh, guys, you know, always forget to say the one on the front. So yeah, yeah. Just in case anyone so, was curious. So, um, so the the coach and me, the inexperienced coach and me, there said. So I'd seen them snatch sixty and clean the jerk two ten in the training hall. So then I was like, okay, well then. I've got to go back a bit. So no, actually, sorry, mate. He'd snatched sixty-five. That's right. He'd snatched sixty-five and ten jerk two ten in training in the training hall. And then his dad says, "What do you think you should open it?" And I said, um, "One sixty uh, and two oh five. And he goes, "No, we're going to open <laughs> one sixty-five and two ten. And I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, um, and I think, and, and I mean, basically, their kind of theory and thoughts around it is. If I've hit it once in training, then I'm going to hit it on the platform, you know? Um, and it was such a big insight for me into terms of, um, is it belief? Is it a bit of madness? Is it, you know, is it, um, mm. yeah, yeah. I think a lot of that is also the the athlete level as well. Like we talked about the unfamiliarity with the platform potentially being an issue, you know, at the moment. Mm. Um, or, or a potential, you know, a potential for saying because people aren't used to the warm up and the one chance and that. But the more experience you have, generally you're probably because was that a world champs? Did you say that was world champs? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's one of those things where it's kind of like you've you've been you're there and you need to maximise everything, right? Yes. Um, so yes. maybe you would yeah. open heavier than you might at. A national comp for him you know or a local comp for a lifter that's a national level lifter sort of thing um yeah because there's there's more on the line but then by the same token i've always you know from my powerlifting days it's always been a build your total type scenario and so i i sort of feel that the first lift should always be hit um you know as i mean as much as practically possible sometimes things don't work but Generally, like if you hit the first, it's just the confidence leads on from there. And that's where I've always thought the first being conservative or, you know, a little bit towards the conservative side is probably wise. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the more experienced you are, you kind of know that if a peak works for you, you know, you should be feeling better on the platform. So if you've hit 165 in the gym during a normal training week with a bunch of fatigue, well, surely if we've peaked you and we've got you going a bit heavier during that week, you would anticipate that an athlete of that caliber who knows how they respond to, you know, a different protocol the week before, or maybe they do something similar the week before, whatever it is, but they know how they respond to that. Um, whereas potentially you risk it a bit if you do that with a lower level lifter or a, or a more novice lifter. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's and that's why I'm at the stage with um, a lot of our, the athletes I'm lucky to work with, and that we don't have openness; we mm. have a range. Yeah. Um, and in that in that um, snatch uh, session for Haley building up, so she misses eighty, then comes back and pumps it right, and then so we go, and then her last warm up was actually eighty five. So she and she 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 smokes that. Um, so the range there, so what I took into account was basically um, miss plus make plus make at a higher weight equals, and then that brought my range down, right? So yeah. my range with Haley was 88 to 91. That was my range. Um, for so first or for, a, or for? For, for opener, for opener. opener. Yeah, yeah. So, so because um, she missed that at 80, but then pumped it and then pumped at 85, I took it to 89. Do, yeah. do you understand? So I was like, yeah. cool. Even though there was a miss, if she had hit 80, hit 85, clean, everything was clean, then I probably would have been around that 90 to 91 opener. Right. Yeah. So the range works really well. And then um, then she goes on and, and clean and jerks, uh, snatches 95. And our goal was to hit an international total. So an even better example after that was I said, right, mate, your opening range is going to be 107 to 112. Now, 112 would have given her, would give her the international total. And, and we know that when 100, 100, to, 100 to 105 is moving really well, um, that we're in shape. And honestly, mate, the, the last, her last warm-up attempt was 105, and she absolutely crushed it. And she just looked straight at me and goes, oh, 112 now. And that's a big, big, big growth um, thing for someone with her, and and that's the that's an indication for me on her level of experience now growing, um, because she's able to feel when she is really firing, and able to adjust without me having to coach, able to adjust on she needs, because um, she actually missed, she actually in the snatch, she actually she, so she went eighty nine. Then we went to 92. She actually missed it, underpulled, and then um, I put 95 on the bar, and she came out and crushed it. So, um, yeah, it's it's so cool to see, like someone like Steph, um, mm. who I think is pretty steely in my in my mind. I think she's um, quite, you know, in the head she's quite um, firm, and and uh, and um, I'm in, I'm really interested to see her growth in the sport in the next few years. And I don't know what her goals goals are, but it's just in terms of that competition platform and things like that and what that kind of brings, you know. It's going to be fascinating to see her growth. Yeah, and, like, she's got a real good example with, with Brett, obviously, as well, you know, a different sport. Yeah. Um, but I know even, you know, over, over talking to Brett over the last few years with his change and how he thinks about the sport and how he takes it seriously, but it doesn't overtake his life. Um you know, he, he has other hobbies, he has other interests. Yes, that's his, his thing and that's what he's known for. Um, but I think when you're younger, a lot of the time, the result on the platform matters almost too much. Um, and, and that sounds strange on a weightlifting podcast to say that the result on the platform matters too much when, when we think about that. Like, the platform is what matters, right? But we have to remember it's just part of us. And like, so... So when someone has that ability to be able to switch on, focus on the job at hand, do the job at hand, and if things go well, that's excellent and they're happy from that. But if things don't, it's kind of like, okay, how do how do you reframe 
um, what's going on there. And I think, yeah, as you say, that mindset, I think she will have seen that type of attitude develop over the years from Brett, where it went from being potentially an obsessive type thing and being really caught up in the results to working really hard. And, and yes, the objective is um, to get the best result possible, but being able to deal with when things don't work out. Um, and I guess that's maturity. The guy's been competing for, for how long? Um, you know, whereas yeah. <laughs> that, that over time, I think, develops. Um, and it's not that he doesn't take the sport seriously. It's that he understands the nature of it. If that, I don't really know if that makes sense, but do you get what I'm trying to say? Like the results matter, yeah, I do, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know, you can come back and you can grow no. from that and you can yeah. learn. Um, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> can, can you formulate that into words better than I can, Ray? Yeah, well, 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 I'll give you an example of that. Um, remember the, the Whanganui competition, was it last year? Yeah. Was that one down the central? Central you Chance, know, yeah. Um, I, yeah, see, I hadn't competed in that whole... Oh, I'm losing you a little uh, bit there, Ray. Hang on, I've lost you a bit there, mate. I've yep. lost you for... You were just saying you hadn't competed in a bit. Um, I'm just going to check if that's my internet. But my internet says it's good. Are you there? Hey, I can hear yes. you now. Okay, sweet. Carry on. You yep. just said you hadn't competed in a bit. Yes, I hadn't competed. Well, I hadn't competed the whole year. Um, just my experience in competing... Um, down there, it was called because uh, I was with Jack. Remember, Jack was there, Jack Langley. Yep. And uh, just it was for myself to see the level of experience with me and what he used to be. You know what I mean? Uh, what what mm. I used to be, he was me. You know, like that kind of still got a bit of edginess about him. Um, still, yeah, in that position where you get frustrated with lifts or whatever, and um. Whereas I have the experience to know that um, I just go out and put out what I'm capable of at that time, you know, um, which is important. It's important if you want to stay in the sport for as long as I want to stay in the sport. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like, it's going to be really interesting to see how Steph goes. She put 11 kgs, I think it was, um, on her last total. So that's a, that's a pretty good start. And I know that, you know, the Nationals qualifier is is, is close as a 59. Um, but it's, yeah, it's going to take a bit of work. So it'll be interesting to see how she sort of develops and approaches that. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited for the next few months, eh? Yeah, for sure. Like, um, yeah, it's it's always exciting when you've got an athlete who's really keen to improve and and then hopefully crush some goals. Always exciting. But... So, what's what's new on the comp? What's um on the horizon then for the competition platform for yourself personally and then your team? Um. I honestly haven't thought too much about what I'm going to do um, in terms of my own competition this year. I've, as, as you know, I've been doing a little bit of weight loss this year and just trying to get a bit, bit leaner in that. Um, and I'm training a bit more 
just for fun. So um, I, I think I'll still be on the Nationals platform um, and I'll probably have to do one before, but I'm kind of going to see where the weight settles um, before I decide whether I'll go as 81 or 73 or, yeah, wherever around there. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm just yeah, I'm just trying to go into training without getting caught up on the numbers and that sort of stuff. Like I'm not in a position where um, that matters too much. I, I'm trying to enjoy the nature of the process. Um, but yeah. for someone like myself who's very competitive, that's a, a little bit of a hard change of tact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Well, this year, because we've got qualification for World Masters Games next year, I actually have to put up quite a competitive total um, because they're not guaranteeing that anyone who qualifies gets to go. So how do you how do you ensure that you are the one that goes? Well, you don't know. You just got to make sure your total total's just really competitive because what's happened is they're limiting um, by all accounts because there was a, a Masters event in um, Spain last year. And they had 800 entrants, and they had to shut. They had to shut it down. They had to shut down how many entries because they just didn't have enough um, technical officials and referees. So, oh, so they and, had to shut it off early. Yeah, and mate, that was like within a week or so. They had to they had to shut it down. So, so you've got to have a competitive total. You can't just reach the total. You've got to actually be in a um, competitive position. So, I actually so I did 289 in Hamilton, um, and I think my qualifying total is like, as a 109, is like 255. So that's well over, but um, yeah, I still need to go out and put, because that competition didn't count, and then COVID hit and things like that, so I'm really just back on the rebuild. So I'm actually competing not this weekend, the following at FSO. Um, that's nothing major. That's I'll go out and just do probably 1540. Um yeah just to get back on the platform. And then really, I've got to really put in some yards for the, for Masters Nationals because Masters Nationals is the last um, competition for qualification for World Masters Games. So that's October, middle of October. So it gives me some time to really um, put some, put some building weeks? blocks back in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put some bu- good building blocks back in. And um, I've only really been starting something heavy. In fact, yesterday was the heaviest I put on my back for a long, long time. Yeah, what did you score? Um, I saw the video, but I didn't. Yeah, didn't it's a pretty comfortable two ten, two ten double. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of set some goals. I wouldn't mind doing um, by the middle of August two ten for five, um, and then by September hopefully two twenty for five. Kind of setting some blue sky thinking goals, but. Yesterday, that's I haven't put anything that heavy. The heaviest off squat I've had on my back in the last post COVID has been 180 for a single or a double, um, maybe. And so that was really nice to put that sort of weight that felt really comfortable on the back and legs. And then it'll give me a chance to rebuild. But it's it's for, for the team doing nationals. It's um, they're back into uh, yeah. This time I'm actually trialing something different. Normally, what I like to do if we're trying to focus on a bit of strength is I like right off the uh, traditionally I like to back right off the weightlifting um, you know it just drop the volume there and so the increase in the volume comes from the in the, in the squatting and the pulling but this time we've agreed as a team we're going to try and keep the numbers relatively high in terms of um, 
lifting as well. Um, the actual classic stuff and all or blocks or things. It's a new it's a new period for us as a team that we've decided to try and keep that um, high. Um, and obviously, we've just got to manage bodies um, a little bit better. So um, I'm looking to see the result of this um, the measure as well. Mm-hmm. I think like one of the um, one of the sort of training philosophies that um, I think it was Mike Teixeira sort of popularized popularized in the strength sports side a few years back was um, the whole idea of doing like a they they called it like an RPE eight single during your off season. Um, yes. Which yep. in, in your in your squatting or your pulling or whatever that would be you know like a, a weight that you feel you could probably get another two or three um, repetitions mm-hmm. left. So it's heavy. But it's not max. Like you're not you're not straining. You have to yeah switch on a little bit. But it's not like you're you're maxing out every week. But doing something like that when you're in sort of a um, let's say less specific phase um, or a, or a higher volume phase, so that you don't just do your fives or your eights or whatever. That actually the body still gets the exposure and the experience. So it kind of keeps you at a higher like uh, minimum I guess type level for those singles and it, yeah. it again makes the singles not unfamiliar because um, I'm sure you've had that experience before you've done some lifting and you haven't been doing a lot of say the heavier stuff and so the heavier stuff feels unfamiliar um, so yeah, yes. it's an interesting one and I guess it's a similar thing to what you're doing is you're trying to keep the the exposure there so that they're not completely foreign you know when they try to go back to a regular snatch or a regular clean and yeah. jerk. yeah exactly and i think um but also the fact that the level of especially like hey and samara is a long time like the level of experience is actually much so Although that doesn't equate to having a um, higher um, work rate or anything, not necessarily, but but the threshold is is deeper now. Um, you know, so we've, so again, it's that opportunity to look at ways to grow. And and and, and again, like I, I still still truly believe though, with and especially like Haley and Samara and them, that they're at a point where we've got to continually challenge their brain. Uh, to build connection to, like you're saying, that familiarity with the heavier weights more often. Um, yeah, while not trying to break an athlete, that's that's the that's the payoff, isn't it? <laughs> not yeah, breaking it's, someone. It's always a balancing act because we know that it's it's you know too much stress leads to the to the issues, but we have to have enough stress to get them to the to the level we want mm. them to go and to challenge them. Um, yeah, it's a fine line. Yeah, but the brain, the, the, the and that's, you know, um, how we challenge the um, the brain is important, and um, especially when it comes to application of um, under pressure. Um, yeah, I, I always find it fascinating when people when people can't get them up, get, get themselves up for something that doesn't replicate the platform. Do, do you know what I mean? Like. If they know that they've got X single coming up in the in the program, but they can't get themselves up for it yet, like they need an external motivation to to get themselves up, and I, and that's where I, I feel like there's a breakdown in the mental performance there of an athlete, because if you need something external 
for motivation, you're in trouble. Um, yeah. And yeah. That's my and thoughts, you know. It's yeah, it's it's kind of that whole um, like internal motivation versus external. Um, yeah. Like being able to manage that and get yourself ready for something without having to have that sense of a reward um, coming from it because, you know, a single in the gym is different to a single on the platform, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to not, you know, you shouldn't be able to switch on and do a single in the gym. Um, yeah. 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 And uh, but that's, that's the, um, you know, we see people and you can go on Insta and find all sorts of motivational quotes around this, you know, practice makes perfect or perfect makes perfect and all this sort of stuff. But if we're not giving them a chance to grow mentally and through their approach and processes and systems, then how do we, how do we know that that system's going to hold up once they do get to the platform? You know, I'm quite interested um, um, in exploring this a little bit, right? Cause it's something that I've been, um, or started talking uh, to Georgia a little bit about is getting the exposure more frequently to those weights that are challenging. And I just wondered, how do you go about managing that? Like about, um, giving them the exposure to say a number that is, let's, you know, you go above, I don't know, 68, 66 kilos, whatever it is on the snatch. And that number is significant and meaningful. Um, how do you yeah. manage the giving the athlete the exposure to that in training? Um, but also the risk of the fact that if they miss in training, that may affect the mental state yeah. as well. Like how do you manage that? Because obviously you want them to become confident at these threshold type numbers. Um, but how do you manage that with the risk, I guess, that comes from doing that? What is the yeah. sort of stuff that you do with that? Well, put it, put it this way. If if someone was struggling, and I'm not just talking about weightlifting, if someone's struggling with whatever is going on in their life, how would we ask them to deal with it? Mm. We'd ask them to communicate and verbalize and make and help help grow meaning around what's going on because once you've got meaning around what's going on and, and you're curious around what's going on, it gives you an opportunity to solve the issue. Mm. Correct? Like if I'm stressed out about work, the options are either address what it is that stresses me out. Um, is it related to something that's going on outside of my life that I carry into my job? Um, is it a certain colleague or is it the fact that I just don't like my job and maybe I should just go and leave that job and go and find something else to do? Um, mm. And that, that might be something that I, internally I struggle with. So I have to help that person verbalize that. So what we've had to implement is, and I, I utilize a lot of that wording, is around staying curious once we start to get to certain attempts. And remember, it doesn't have to be weight as well, because it might be um, a pause snatch at X weight or times two or a triple at X weight off blocks. It's still going to create the same sense of anxiety urgency around it um for example powers really scare power snatches really scare um hayley they really throw her for someone who snatches 95 she actually has quite a dreadful power snatch um yeah. and when i say that um I i'm not meaning um not necessarily just in weight i'm also meaning um application of technique and um, and so the powers create a situation for me for her to approach the mental game. So we're using, so the worst thing you could do for Haley is like a hang power or a power off the block. Like she just, she just gets lost. It's like I said, for someone who snatches 95, she just loses herself and positioning and space 
off the blocks. So we, we, we create a situation where we're challenging the brain in that mental application. And then we, I've, got to, I've had to work hard for her to verbalise and talk about what's going on as to why it's making her nervous, you know, um, because if they can't verbalise what's going on, then how do they build meaning around it? And also, how do you give them a chance to make, ask themselves, is what they are thinking rational? You know, <laughs> like, and then I've had to, then I've just had to build in essentially success criteria. Well, what then is a successful lift for you? And, you know, so so say Hayley, um, they do, she did the power and, and I'm like, cool. So you get, first and foremost, you, you, you hit the number, you hit it, you hit the power. Great. So that's success already. Then, but what's an indicator of success? Um, oh, bars behind the head. Um, I didn't move. I didn't um, move forward in terms of you know step forward. Um, you know the timing was there. Um, you know, we, and there's those certain key indicators um, that we I've built into her to to regulate herself around success of a successful power snatch, hang power, block power, whatever. Um, so I guess coming back to it, it's giving them the tools to verbalise what the anxiety and stress is around. Um, then once they've done that, um, build in some reassurance through intrinsic systems, like a cue or um, or something that indicates to them that that was a successful lift without me having to tell them. Um, and then, of course, and then after that is replicating that, you know, mm. replicating that with some level of consistency. Um, how many times out of ten do I get that feeling and you and feel those cues or feel those um, successful traits? How, how often do I feel that out of ten? If it, is, it, is it four out of ten today? Yes. Okay. Then maybe we need to back off the weight. It's almost like an RPE of emotion. <laughs> does mm. that sound right? Does that make sense? And that's, um, and that's where I like the idea, like um, with the Yukol guys, I've previously um, often utilized like a heavy, what I call a heavy tidy single. Um, mm -hmm. So it gives them the chance to regulate those aspects, right? So that if things are moving well and they're getting that feedback that things are going well, they have the opportunity to go heavier, but they're not going to the stage where technique breaks down or if they do, then they pull it back, right? Um, and so I guess it's, 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 building in the the ability for that feedback um, and to utilize um, the feedback and not just go heavy tidy means max out um, because it's a very different thing in my brain. Um, yeah. And and I guess that's, as you say, the communication lines about what that means and what that looks like. You know, that doesn't mean that it's near your PB necessarily. That just means that it's what could you move in the way that fit within that type of system that you mentioned there. Um and, and trying to, I guess, I guess in that aspect as well, then you can, can kind of almost untie a little bit of emotion around some of the numbers. Um, yes. You know, because it's like yes. it's like me still. If I go up near a hundred snatch, that's that's suddenly something, right? Um, yeah. Where it doesn't necessarily need to be because if the ninety-five moved, what like you know what a normal eighty-five feels like, well then why would you even be worried about the next five kilos? Um, yeah. But it is it is very hard still. You know, it's easy to say something like like that, that about a number, but it's, it's still very hard to detach yourself and focus on the process. But I guess that's part of the maturity and learning 
um, in the sport because over time, obviously, those those threshold numbers where these emotions might come um, move up, um, and you don't even yeah. realize. You don't even realize as an athlete because suddenly, you know, you're not you're not thinking about that because you've surpassed that old number and it's not on your brain anymore. And there's a new one. Um, and you know, you know, over time, however long that is, it it should move up, and you might not realize. Um, so yeah. you know, being able to reflect upon it's probably coach, not a bad thing either. As a coach, though, you've got to know that. Like the the onus is on you to know the potential, the current potential as of mm-hmm. today, right? Because yeah. we only have today. We don't have yesterday anymore. And we don't have tomorrow. We only have today. So. If you are aware of the current potential and what the current potential is offering us, then you you would program based on tomorrow's potential. Yeah. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so you utilize yesterday's potential to inform today's potential to inf- and program for tomorrow's potential. Um, and, and as much as I love the process of programming and building a blueprint, the the real art is in seeing and reading what's going on with your athlete think about what think about some of those those real legends of our sport um puros kakashvili um you know current ones like lasher and lu Jun and things like that um it, it's the ability of the coach to read what form the athletes in. and 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 that's not even just in weightlifting isn't it it's in it's in rugby it's in football it's in golf, tennis, you know, they, they, it's the ability to read and then know what to say when they're in those points. Yeah. And and the hard thing for us, bro, is that we don't get a lot of opportunity to test that out in our sport. You know, I can go and play a game of rugby for 24 games in a row in a season, right? I have, yeah. as a coach, I have a Tuesday, Thursday, and a Saturday um, um, if we're just a club player. You know, I'm trying to build the relevance back to being a club lifter. Um, and then every weekend I get a chance to go out and have a shot um, at applying those processes and systems. But in our sport, we don't. Um, we don't have that, essentially, that competition framework um, every single weekend. So, so that's why it's important to only stay in today uh, because we only really know uh, what's going on in that session right there and then. And then going back to what I'm talking about, that building that opportunity to verbalize how they're feeling, staying curious around things, helping helping support. And, I, and I've said this before, like my job is to help an athlete cope. That, that's, that's how I see, that's how I see my role because I'm not going to always be able to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's just say um, Haley qualified for com games cool and but i don't get selected as a coach well does that mean mm-hmm. her performance goes out the window well no that then if, if it does that's on me and i'll and i'll say that out loud if her performance goes out the window because i'm not there then that's a that's a coach who hasn't in my opinion done their job which is help that athlete cope with what the hell is going on on the platform and out the back um and that's that's just so vital and coping mechanisms um, and tools are all different to you know to, to every single athlete. So you can see why I don't like to coach thirty odd people. <laughs> That's why I have a lot of respect for Kellen Helms, who's coaching sixty <laughs> odd people. You know, is, um, and doing a great job. And that's like that's part of the thing with like I hear you talking about this stuff, 
and obviously my situation is is very different um, to your situation with a lot of my competitive athletes. Um, and so I'm almost in a position where oftentimes the athlete has to become um, autonomous um, and has to be able to make those calls on the day. You know, that, okay, this isn't feeling good. Hayden obviously programmed this for a reason, um, but my reason doesn't mean that if you don't hit you know, that percentage on that day, that doesn't make that day a failure. Um, you yes. know, we need you to be able to adjust that plan up or down or well, generally not. I don't even go up necessarily um, ex- unless it's sort of explicitly stated. But, you know, going down is always an option. Um, but I think it's a little bit hard as an athlete to allow that to happen. Um, but it's one of those things with, with, with online programming. I'm not there to give you mm. feedback after the set. Um, and so I guess in a way, the programming is a bit more prescriptive in that nature. Um, and I'll, I'll have many opportunities and I try, I'm trying to do this more and more within my framework is, is give them opportunities to make changes and to go heavier or to pull back or to choose a weight for a specific exercise, you know, for, for a specific set more regularly. But obviously you can't do that all the time because you're not wanting an athlete to max out all the time. There's a stimulus you're trying to hit. And so sometimes choosing percentages, in a specific range, there's a purpose to that, but but that doesn't mean that if you don't hit it, it's a it's a failure or the athlete hasn't achieved their objective for the day. Um, and I guess that's part of the learning and part of the teaching towards you for you as a coach, right? Is to give the feedback on those sessions, and you know if, if you read the comments or you see the video and you provide feedback on that, that's their chance to learn so that next week they become better. And I think the online programming side of things for me is it takes time. Um, it takes a yeah. lot of time because I can, you know, you can only make that change between now and next week after I give you that feedback. I can't give you the change between set three and set four and then, you know, set four and five look better or the, the cue doesn't work. Um, so it, it's a different dynamic and, and, and I, I envy um, the position of the coaches that are there every day. Um, and yeah, I only have those limited limited moments, I guess, with that. So for me, it's a lot of learning from the athlete, getting the feedback from the athlete as much as they possibly can um, and seeing videos that I can see how do things move. And then, as you said, using the result from yesterday to inform um, the next day that comes or the next week that comes. And that's kind of why I try and limit my programming at the moment to one week at a time. Um, yeah. Because I want to see yeah. what happens. Yeah. And I want to make changes. I might have a guiding plan, but I, I have to be flexible um, based on what I see week to week. And yeah, it's a learning game, man. It's a learning game. Even remotely, you have to just learn, learn, learn from the athlete and get feedback and, and, and change according to what the athlete needs. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's the, that's probably the key point there. You've got to, and that, that's how I've, that's how Courtney and I attack business. It's like fail fast, fail forward. You know, you, you, that's, that's, that's got to be your attitude, mate. You've mm-hmm. got to recognize it's not working and don't be afraid to just stop and move forward. Um, and I remember getting some feedback from um, Samara around that. She was like, I really appreciate that I've got a coach that will stop at the at the moment it's not working and help um, grow it, move it forward. So um, those sorts of – the ability to um, make that call and call fast and not let your ego get in the way of, of, what, of the need, because that's often what will hold back – um, is that the coach's ego mm. um, is is just um, such a vital component to it to the success and I, and I think and, and it's not about um, 
yeah, again, like like you say, people tie success to lifts. But um, walking out of a training session knowing that you've and, and, and that's why I talk about Pyrrhus and Kaki in that in that in that documentary of Pyrrhus Demas, he talks about how he'd always get frustrated that Kaki would have a crap crappy session and he'd just pack up his bag and walk out. And Pyrrhus yeah. couldn't do that. You know, he could he couldn't do it. Um, and I've got lifters right now that feel like they've got to end on a good lift. And that tells me a deep insight into their psyche and that something is it right or wrong? Mm, uh in my mind, I am not a fan of it because there's always tomorrow, right? There's always tomorrow, um, but it's a it's a day where sometimes, um, you know, I might get asked, "Look, can I just drop back and hit a good single?" And I'm like, "Okay, cool." And then going back to what you're asking before, I'm like, "Okay, cool." Instead of just going, "Okay, cool," the weight is X. I say, "Okay, cool." What what does a good single mean to you? Yeah, and I'm still asking Haley that. You know, I'm still asking Samara that. I'll, can I drop back and hit a, a a good single? Cool. Let's do this weight. What does a good single mean to you? Oh, A, B, C, and D. Great. So hits the hits the lift. Right. Cool. Did you hit A, B, C, and D? Yes. How do you know? This, 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 this. You know, instead of just hit your single. Cool. Great training. See you later. That, I don't think that's a process of growth. Um, there's not enough feedback. There's not enough two way there. Um, and and if I'm going back to the, my my kind of philosophy around helping an athlete cope, I've got to give them a chance to verbalise what it is they're trying to achieve, lift to lift. Yeah, mm. actually, it's quite cool exploring that. <laughs> it's quite cool exploring that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and that's a teaching background, to, mate. I was chatting to um, one of my colleagues here at work um, today about you know, the competition and he's, he's really into like coaching edu- for education wise. Um, mm-hmm. And so one of the things he brought up that was quite interesting was he was talking about, you know, have you, do you sit down, have conversations with each athlete after they compete and, and yep. get the reflection? Cause I just implemented um, before this competition, like a pre-competition, you know, what are your goals? Um, what would be an opener that you'd be confident to start at those sorts of things. So you can get a lot of that feedback again, being the remote side um, around what will the game plan look like for comp day? Um, and I sort of thought, yeah, well, now I've got this pre one, but do I have a post one? Have I got a way that, you know, I can get that feedback from the athlete directly and get them to, you know, cause sort of writing things down can be quite therapeutic, I think as well. Um, yeah. and so I'm, I'm quite keen to potentially implement something like that, but w- what sort of procedures do you have around that? Because obviously you guys see each other in training day to day. Do you have a dedicated, um, like debrief type scenario after the competition that you do, or you know, does it just sort of yeah. come up informally? What what does that look like? Yeah, for you it's guys always it's informally, it's informally, yep. it's informally and cumulative, cumulative in, in a nature. Like like for example, this morning, um, I don't normally go to morning sessions at the moment, but I shot into the morning session because I had some very specific things to say to the people, to, to individuals. Yeah and to get their kind of feel on what was going on from last week to this week and, and what their approach and goals might be. So because we're early in a block and we've got a big, in terms of it's nationals, that's what we're heading towards, that process of reflection is always there. And actually this morning I had to be quite firm on, I won't say who, but I had to be quite firm on one of the team about um, basically they were like, oh, it's a 
10 kg jump from last week and my, my body couldn't cope and, and so we had to go back and re and unpack all of that again and say uh, did you do enough mental approach to the session did you plan out what it was going to look like you know all that process um and just try to un unpack why they didn't um oh it's because the movement scares me da, 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 da. so um but then in terms of a process, I generally always ask how people felt the training block went before the competition. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, again, is because things can go wrong on comp day, you know. And, yeah. and if we're going to tie success to the platform, then we're in trouble, you know. We're, we're in trouble. I think people can have the best training block. Look at Richie. He has the best training block of his life coming into comp games. And, and we obviously know how that ends up. Mm. Well, I want people, if they drop the sport tomorrow, I don't want people walking away from the sport thinking, what the fuck did I, have I just been doing my life for the last three, four, five years? You know, yeah. I want people to celebrate, celebrate their wins and losses in a process up to game day, essentially. And then from the competition, we just analyze the competition. That's it, because nothing really changes, mate. Like, like as we, because I'm, you know, in the last four to six weeks going into competition, mate, nothing changes really from competition to the training to the um from the training platform to the competition platform, mate. No, nothing really changes. It shouldn't, in my mind. Mm. Uh, the snatch warm up should be the same. The clean jerk warm up should be the same. Um. So, the reflection after the competition is just really about, uh, and and. And sometimes it's not needed, you know. Yeah. Um, like for example, in Hamilton, um, Ollie and Tyler had really good competitions, and the the, the they had six for six, and um, you know, and, you, and you're just like, and, and it's like with Steph, like you know, yesterday, it's like well, they had six for six, um, technically looked really good. Um, what would have been the limiting factor, Tyler? And Tyler's like, oh, look, I don't know if I had much more legs in the clean and jerk. Okay, and you're like, cool, so. The next work on is strength, you know. Um, whereas if, um, like, for example, Amy, um, which was strange because I've never seen her do this, but she first clean and jerk, two clean and jerks, she pressed them out, and she's actually got a really good jerk. Um, so, so of course, I was like, well, what was that about? And she's just like, yeah, I just couldn't find my timing. Um, and I'm like, okay, cool. So then, so a lot of the stuff, and, and that's quick feedback. It's fast, quick, fast, and because I'm there all the time, we can quickly analyze what's going on and then make a decision, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's the beauty. And remember I coached online for, with Haley, especially Haley, Samara for a while, Nuka for a while, um, Amy and Tessa for a while. I coached online for a while, but the reason I decided to not coach online is because I didn't believe it was the best version of me as a coach. Um, and, um, and they weren't getting the best version of me as well. So, um, it was a bit of an ultimatum, but yeah, I think right now I'm in the lucky position that I can talk to people. Mm. Um, and I'm a talker too. Like I'll ring them, I'll ring them and have a yarn about something. Um, I'd rather talk through things versus messaging and things. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of cumulative, um, conversations is probably the best way of that. Yeah. Cumulative conversations is the process I take. There you go. You now that I've verbalised all that, that. Ray, and sell it.
Yeah. Start a yeah. course. Cumulative conversations. And and that's not just in that's not just in weightlifting coaching. That's yeah. in everything. You know? And Courtney and I love being part of our business because we can have cumulative conversations. We can build bigger pictures around people and what we yeah. see in their in their potential and where they need to work. Um but you can't do that if you're always working in. Um you've got to work on. So yeah. um that's the yeah. I should yeah, trademark it's, it's that an, because like it's an interesting because <laughs> because obviously the the time that is the most challenging for the athlete is the platform right in terms of um it's going to be the most stressful environment they lift in compare comparative to training um so i think as a learning opportunity as well and a, and a how do you respond opportunity it's a really cool chance for us as coaches to actually see how does an athlete respond when they're under pressure because the pressure is different you know whether we admit it or not the pressure is different on a comp day um as opposed to training and so, yeah, I think it's a, as you say, the, the problem is we don't get every weekend to do that and grow and adapt. So for me, it's like, how do I take advantage of these opportunities the most um, to help build build the athletes? You know, and we've talked about it before being as as an athlete, yes, and as competing, yes, but also how can we teach them things that help them in their real, real world experiences to kind of um, develop as people as well as as athletes? So that's why I think, yeah, that reflection side is, is a really important thing. Um, in a high pressure environment like that, well, you've got to tie it to to what they know. When it comes down to building meaning, you must tie to the experiences. It's like yeah. with, when you work with little kids, um, and I, I remember my teacher training. I had to go and deliver a reading lesson at Insole Avenue School in Hamilton, and the book was um, I can't remember. It was a PM reader. It's for five year olds. Uh, it was around a little snowman or building a something like that. Something along those lines, right? It just so happened that the two kids I got given were freshly out of um, Somalia. Now, how many Somalian kids have seen snow? <laughs> uh, there was no way for them to tie to meaning, you know? So I quickly had to go on the fly and I took them into the staff room and scraped it. I got in trouble for it, but I took them in the staff room and I scraped out heaps of ice out of the freezer and we started holding it in our hands and things like that. I had to quickly find ways to build meaning. I yeah. had to. Otherwise, they were going to take nothing from the lesson and I was going to learn nothing from the lesson. So that's kind of always been my approach has been like, if I quickly realize that they're not building any meaning, I have to quickly adjust what I'm, what the program's asking of them, what my line of questioning or conversation is, is drawing from them and where that takes us to, what step does that, where do they move to from there? Um, so... Uh, I'm just always conscious of that, and that's just been years of experience in teaching and education and coaching um, when trying to figure out what works best for athlete A versus athlete Z. Yeah, no, I'm just really, I'm just, I'm just far, far more, I'm just far more efficient at it now. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's that's part mm. of it for me as well. As I'm, I'm still pretty early on my my journey as a weightlifting coach. You know, I've been doing it for a couple of years now, but. I feel like I learn something every time I go to the platform. I guess you probably do too, but your lessons might be smaller. Um, whereas I think, you know, when you're still pretty fresh, you might learn some pretty big things um, each time that you approach a competition, mm -hmm. especially when you approach a competition with three athletes at once. There's a lot of different things happening for each yeah. individual. Um, and it's yeah, not just a sure. cookie cutter, right? It's it's everyone approaches things differently and you learn how someone works with their warm-ups a bit which means next time you can do a little bit better with that or whatever it may be um you know those triggers and things that you need mm -hmm. to know for each individual because yeah you can have a game plan but 
a game plan needs to be individualized because in our sport it's completely individual and we have to make sure that we as the coach tailor um, what we're doing to fit the person, not the other way around. You know, it's not molding our our person to fit the program, it's molding what we do to fit the person. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gary V um, is someone I follow. If you don't follow Gary V on Instagram, I don't know what you're what you're doing on there, but Gary V um, he's a entrepreneur and um, he's got a vein of media, a real big personality. And I've learned a lot of lessons from him. And one of them is, as a boss, you should be working. For, you work for your employees, not the other way around. Yeah. And um, and that's the same. It's the same uh, process in in weightlifting coaching as well. You work for your you work for your athletes, not not the other way around. And um, uh, you, but you've got to create a culture and a um and an environment that supports each individual to be themselves and who they are. And if it doesn't quite work for you and your culture, you've got to also have the balls to um, exit if it doesn't work. I think yep. that's an important lesson as well as a coach. Um, yeah, weigh up the way up what the relationship brings to the culture. Because uh, another another quote of Gary V's is hiring's guessing, firing's knowing. So um, and that's, in that situation, it's about looking at what environment you're creating to support an athlete and do they what they bring do they utilize the opportunities and all those sorts of things so it's a, it's a hey and that's always evolving and growing isn't it always mm. yeah well, we're we're yeah. we're nearing an hour now ray so i guess i guess it's probably as good a time as any to wrap up but we've covered a lot of stuff there um i think quite a good bit of stuff into the insights of competition as well as into how do we how do we train people around those threshold weights or numbers yeah. um, when, when emotions might come in and then kind of reflection I guess as well so quite a quite a few big topics um, touched upon yeah. there. so I think we could definitely jump into some of those things in more detail um, in another episode yeah for sure, and, think, but... and I'm packing that with, with a couple of athletes might be the way forward too I think we should we should it's about time to get another coach or athlete on definitely for sure definitely okay mate awesome brother yeah, well, um, you guys know where to follow us now. Um, was it just straight weightlifting yarns on Instagram? Yep, yep, sure is. Cool. And then, Ray, you're at? Ray underscore Everest. And I'm at HJP Method on Instagram. So that's us, team. Thanks heaps for joining us today, and we look forward to chatting to you guys again soon, hopefully uh, not as long between drinks, so to speak, as this time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, brother. Sweet. Catch you, bro. Yeah, later.